If you're buying a home because you fear a big housing bubble, either you're pretty smart or you're just a little bit ignorant. But according to the data, you're both wrong. What's up, everybody? I'm David Sidoni, and this is the How to Buy a Home podcast. It's your source for real information on the often elusive how-tos when you're trying to do, I don't know, the biggest thing you ever tried to do in your life, buying your first home. All right, let's rock it. Let's get right into this hot topic. Google searches for the question, is this a housing bubble? It's up 2,450%. That's a lot of percents. The internet is just going nuts with this. Now, some of you guys out there, you're asking me questions yourselves. The question I hear most of the time from you guys, because you've already passed this whole bubble stuff, you're asking me, how much over a listing price should I offer? Well, hang on. That's going to be my next podcast. Today, we're talking to everybody that wants to know everything about the housing bubble. Prices are going up like crazy. I mean, we're talking 19%. I put that up on my Instagram the other day, and that blew up because nobody realized that. Over the last 12 months, and in some places, we're actually up 25%. Now, if you compare that to the historical average, where the housing prices increase at about 4% a year, and that's including all the ups and downs, then that means we're going through a nutso appreciation right now, skyrocketing. And get this, from April to May in 2021, just 30 days, we saw appreciation increases from 2.1% to 3.7%, depending on where you were in the country. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but think about it. The average is 4% for a year, and in some places we're going up 2.1 or 3.7. That's just in one month. So the next burning question that I'm sure you have is, well, why did I label your bubble opinions at the top of the podcast as either smart or ignorant, and then inexplicably say that the data says that both of those opinions are wrong? Sounds like a riddle I would tell my kids just to piss them off. So let me explain. First of all, smart. Now that's easy. Those numbers I just gave you right now about the 19 to 25% appreciation, that's insane. So any logical person would think, hey, this is a bubble. It's got to burst. Well, we're going to get to the facts and data a little bit later on that will show you maybe some other ways to think about it. Next, I want to make sure that those of you who think I called you ignorant aren't going to come and find me and do terrible things to me. Let me clear up the word ignorant. Calm down, tiger. Don't go screaming into your phone. You know, you think you're better than me? Relax. I'm not that way about ignorant. I agree that most of the time in context, ignorant has a negative connotation. I get it, but that's not how I see it. The smartest people I've been lucky enough to come across in my long old life, yeah, daddy's old, deal with it. They know that they don't know what they don't know. And they don't feel bad or insecure about it. No, no. I have found that the really intelligent people that I meet who sink themselves to actually have a conversation with me, they're confident in what they do know, and they're consistently seeking to learn in what they don't know. Confidence embraces ignorance, and it seeks to change it if that thing that they're learning about is important to the person. Ignorance not bad or stupid. It's just uninformed on a topic. You're just uninformed. Don't worry about it. To me, hey, being ignorant is just something that I see is an exciting opportunity to learn something from something I don't know. So chill out, relax, believe in yourself, be confident, be cool, and realize you can't learn everything about a housing bubble in a five-minute Google search. Look, I'm ignorant, 
I'll tell you my truth today. I can't fix a car. I can't remove my dog's spleens. Hell, I don't even know if they have spleens. See, I'm ignorant. No big whoop. Let's jump right into this data. I accumulated this data from the best economic minds out there, both bullish and bearish. That means optimistic and pessimistic. But some of this is just data. It's just facts. Most of it is. So no opinions. So I'm going to just spit all this out there, drop the knowledge, you listen, and then you decide for yourself. First, some facts on how housing bubbles happen. The big burst happens with three things. One, prices are appreciating too quickly. Two, there are lower down payments, so the equity position is low right from the start. And three, the mortgage rates are adjustable and not fixed. So where are we today? What's the data for these major factors in the 2021 market? Because this is going to tell us if we're going to have this bubble. Number one, runaway pricing. Check. We got that. Number two, low down payments. Yes, you can still buy a home with a low down payment, but the average down payment actually being used in this crazy price run up, it's double the down payments that we were seeing the last time before that big crash back in 2008. And number three, adjustable rate mortgages. These were popular back in the shady days of real estate. Man, they started out really low, like 2%. And then in a few years, they ballooned up to 5 6 7%, and your monthly payment doubles or triples. Well, good news, those are gone. People wised up, and the banks got slapped hard for doing all that shady stuff without disclosing the real effects to the borrower or the buyer. And now it's much more stringent to qualify for a loan. It's even harder just to get one. Before the crash, I swear to God, you could do a stated income loan. And that's as stupid as it sounds. You could state, yes, Mr. Banker, I make $150,000 a year. If your credit was all right, and hell, sometimes even if it wasn't, then your statement was enough to get you a loan. Ridiculous, huh? So no supporting documents, just your statement. Banks give you the money and then, hey, you go into foreclosure and then they'd sell your house and the bank would try to get back as much money as they could. Well, that ain't happening now. Fixed loans with no interest rates or no interest rate increases over 30 years. You got to legitimately qualify for a loan. Just ask anybody who's tried to buy a home in the last few years, and they'll tell you the hardest part is gathering all the documents for the bank. They want tax returns, bank statements, pay stubs, job verifications. Sometimes you feel like you're going to be waiting for them to ask you for blood and hair samples or a colonic, or at least it feels like a colonic. That's what I've been told. And this is a good thing for housing stability. Okay, now that we know the three things that define a bubble, what a bubble is and why they happen. Let me give you a rundown of what we're gonna cover in excruciating detail today. Yes, excruciating. I know I haven't had a podcast up for a while and you saw the time on this one and you thought, what are you doing, Sidoni? Look, this could be a two-parter for you to listen to or I'll tell you what, I'm gonna give you everything you need to know about the bubble right now. You can stretch out your workout if you're on the treadmill Make it a real workout today. Burn some calories and actually learn something listening to this whole podcast. Learn something useful for yourself. Or, you know, instead, you could stop halfway, wimp out, go home after doing 12 minutes on level two on the podcast because, you know, you really got to get home and binge that show. I'm just saying. Okay. If you want this info short and sweet, love you. Wrong podcast. 
I am here to educate you, to make sure you can make the right call, whatever that is. I'm not here to scare you into buying or selling a home with me. That's what those headlines you find on the internet are there for. They're trying to scare you to pick up the phone, put in your email and talk to that person. So I'm just going facts. And these are the facts we're going to cover. Not my opinion. I spent days putting together all the facts and the data that I've accumulated for the past few years. Yes, years. Because while the public has only recently been Googling and wondering about a potential bubble, I've been keeping an eye on this from the minute that the current run of price increases started. And I was watching that for five years since that's a normal real estate up and down cycle. And that started in 2012. So in 2017, we were at five years. I've been reading and watching this bubble stuff since 2017. That's five years from the bottom of the crash. So did you know that we actually had a crazy run like this in 2013? There were bidding wars, buying over list price, multiple, multiple offers. Well, I've been paying attention to this and watching the data since then. And, you know, since some of you guys out there were applying to go to college before you started racking up all your student loans. So this is full on quoted, plagiarized, regurgitated data that I'm given to you gathered over the years. And it's not my opinion, just the data I'm going to present. You decide topics today are, Hey, this looks a lot like 2008. I remember hearing about foreclosures and some crazy crash stuff in junior high and high school and college back in 2008. Now that sucked, right? Topic number two, supply and demand. Topic number three, lending. You need to borrow money to buy a house, so how's that working out today? Topic number four, mortgage interest rates. That matters a ton. Topic number five, remember those foreclosures we were talking about? Well, what about forbearance? Isn't that gonna make a whole bunch more of those? Topic number six, is all of this artificial because of the pandemic bailout money? What happens when reality hits? And topic number seven, predictions, forecasts, optimistic and pessimistic. We're going to hear it all. Okay, topic number one, is this different from 2008? Well, for those of you who weren't paying attention in 2008, the economic world collapsed and it was mostly due to two things. The banks were greedy pigs and put all their eggs into the mortgage industry and screwed the 99%, period. <laughs> it was ugly. And number two, the stock market, as it always does, it went through a cycle and it crashed. Well, both those things happen at once. Most experts, however, believe that if there's another recession, it will not resemble 2008. The housing market is in no way the same way as it was over a half decade ago. Or a half decade? Do the math, Sidoni, 2008. That's more than a decade. So Ali Wolf, the director of economic research at the real estate consulting firm Myers Research, he addressed this. He said, quote, with people having PTSD from the last time, they're still afraid of buying at the wrong time, unquote. And another economist, Jeff Tucker, he explained, quote, as we look ahead to the next recession, it's important to recognize how unusual the conditions were that caused the last one and what's different about the housing market today. Rather than abundant homes, we have a shortage of new home supply. Rather than risky borrowers taking on adjustable rate mortgages, we have buyers with sterling credit scores taking out predictable 30-year fixed rate mortgages. The housing market is simply much less risky than it was 15 years ago." Unquote. 
Here's the way it goes. In the past 23 years, there have been two national recessions. We had the dot-com crash of 2001 and then the Great Recession in 2008. Now, it's true. During the last one, the one that's freshest in everyone's mind, we lost 19% or 20% in an average. Some places lost 30% or 40% in the pricing of their houses, and it caused a mortgage meltdown that heavily impacted the housing market. However, while stock prices fell almost 25% in 2001, home values appreciated 6.6%. The triggers of the next recession, they say, are more closely going to mirror the 2001 recession, not those from 2008. And for those of you who listened to the podcast for a while, first of all, thanks so much. Good to see you again. As I said way back in November 2019, that was episode 29 of this podcast. Back then, I knew that we were in for a stock market recession. It was on an 11-year run-up, and it had to end sometime. And I tried to prepare you for that recession. Well, fast forward to 2021, it still hasn't happened yet. But still, the big economists are telling us that they believe that this crash will mirror the other recessions where housing is not crushed in the chaos. Okay, so I'm going to give you three main arguments about the differences between 2008 and 2021 or 22 or 23, whenever you think a bubble might happen, and I'll give you both sides. So bubble thinking. Fact number one, we're going to be talking about affordability. Bubble thinkers, affordability, prices are stupid, and no regular Joe, Jolene, or him, her, they, them can afford a mortgage on what they make. Home values have outpaced wage gains, and just like in 2008, affordability is going to kill the market. Okay, that's one side. Now we hear the other side. This is the non-bubble burst thinking, just a regular slowdown someday thinking. Okay, totally. I agree. The gap between wages and home price growth sucks, and it should and will cause a big problem. But the data with this run-up in the housing market, it actually shows that this gap is hit those super sucky levels before we had the last crash. We actually hit those in 2012. So what's up? It's been seven years. Where's the burst? Well, it hasn't happened because the equation to determine affordability has three main elements, home prices, wages, and mortgage interest rates. Today, the mortgage interest rate's about 3.25% versus 6.41% in 2006. 3.25, 6.41%. That's screwing up the whole equation. Buyer's purchasing power is much greater than it was 13 years ago. Okay, so continuing on that, bubble thinking number two. In 2018, as in 2005, housing price growth began slowing a little bit, with significant price drops occurring in some major markets. In fact, New York City dropped a ton, and they're the center of the universe. So we got a bubble coming. Yeah, New York had its thing, but as of today in 2021, the data only shows one major market in a true depreciation, Seattle. Go Kraken. Sorry, Seattle people. But even those values in that city are actually starting to reverse. Oh, see, now I don't feel so bad for you, Seattle. CoreLogic, which is a strictly data-producing company, that's all they do is just do data. They're projecting home price appreciation to reaccelerate across the country over the next 12 months. And oh, by the way, that whole Manhattan argument, home prices dropped in that city because they had a new mansion tax, and it just sapped up all the demand. Additionally, the new federal tax code went into effect last year, and that continues to impact all the market because it caps deductions for state and local taxes. It's known as SALT. And it caps it at $10,000. 
that has effect on the more expensive places that you're trying to buy a house. And uh, last time I checked, New York was kind of expensive. Okay, one more argument, bubble argument number three from the bubble thinkers. Prices are going to crash because that's what happened during the last recession. Non-bubble thinkers. Well, except that in three out of the last five recessions going way back, housing actually went up by levels of 3.5%, 6.1%, and 6.6%. It only went down twice. One of that time, it only went down less than 2%. And the other time was 2008 when it was caused by the housing market. And that was caused by those predatory loans, crappy big banks screwing us on mortgages, and horrible lending policies. We're going to get more into the lending policies when we hit topic number three. So the price is determined by supply and demand. We'll kick that a little bit more in topic number two. Bottom line is this. This is not like 2008. We need to realize that today's real estate market it's not going to be the same thing. When a recession occurs, and it will, I'm not Pollyanna. A recession is going to happen. It, it won't resemble the last recession with housing leading the charge. No one's going to accurately be able to predict the next recession when it's going to happen. But expecting one could possibly take place in the next 18 to 24 months is you know, pretty understandable based on the stock market running as long as it has. It is, however, important to realize that the impact of a recession on the housing market will not be the same. All right, before that, we're going to do a quick side note before I get to the next topic. Just one more thing on the differences between 2008 and today. This is my opinion. Did you hear that, everyone? That's your big alarm, big alert. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Opinion, opinion. This is opinion. Look, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Lots of these bubble headlines that you see comparing to 2008, do you know who they're written by? The real estate industry. And you know what the real estate industry wants to do? It wants to get more sellers. They don't give a crap about buyers. If you've listened to my podcast, you'll know that. You'll know the secrets, the insider tips that I'd be giving you to let you know that unfortunately, the industry doesn't give a crap about buyers. You're just a tool. You're a cog in the wheel. They want listings. That means they want to get houses to sell. And then they realize, or at least they think, that you desperate and predictable buyers are just going to show up like you always do. So why waste any time trying to market to you? They're too busy out there advertising and selling what can be perceived as false information, telling people to cash out now because it's going to blow. This bubble's going to burst and this is your chance and you better do it before you lose all your money. But the facts of the market, they're going to show you that there are way too many buyers for way too little homes right now. And that's going to keep and elevate the market and keep it from crashing. I'm not saying it's going up forever. Do not think you can buy a house and just flip and flip and flip. But just listen to episode 40. I did that in February 2021. That was for all the first-time buyers. It was, should I wait or should I buy now? If you listened then and you decided that maybe you should buy and then you bought a home in March, you'd be up almost 10% on your house right now. Once again, just my opinion. Oh, the last part's not opinion. If you bought it, you would be up 10%. That's a fact, Jack. Topic number two, supply and demand. Pricing of any item is determined by how many items are available compared to how many people want to buy them. Oh my God, I just went back to high school economics. That's supply and demand. As a result, the strong year-over-year home appreciation is pretty simple to explain. The demand for housing is up while the supply of homes for sales is low. 
Right now in 2021, we just have just 1.03 million homes for sale compared to a peak of 4 million homes at the height of the last housing bubble in 2007. So my buddy Lawrence Yoon, the economist for the National Association of Realtors, I call him Larry. I know if I ever meet him, he'd tell me he hates that, but I don't care. Larry Yoon says this is not a bubble. It's simply a lack of supply. Today's housing market is healthy and rising prices are driven by real buyer demand. For more than six years, we've suffered from this woeful lack of homes to buy in the U.S. Why simultaneously we're adding almost 10 million new households. Now, not every household translates into a new homeowner. We get that. But given the demographic growth and the ongoing shortage of inventory, come on. It's simple math. We're going to run in to a limit on supply. So right now, we're looking at one of the main reasons is that, you know, the pandemic kind of stopped everybody in their tracks. But even before that, people were not moving as often as they used to. Depending on which report you, you read, people used to move every four or five years. But today, that number's eight to 10 years. That means there's less turnover of homes, less supply, and the supply stays scarce and the prices rise. And, oh, don't forget, population doesn't stop. We keep making people. That's the way people work. They make more people, and it's not slowing down. Then there's the big one when it comes to supply and demand. Get your minds out of the gutter. I'm talking about a big fact. If you think about it, this big one makes a lot of sense. There are not enough homes being built. Builders, like everyone else, they got crazy greedy in the early 2000s, and it started they started building all kinds of new homes. Now, building a home isn't done in a year. So in 2003, they couldn't build a whole bunch of homes for 2004. It takes about five to seven years because they got to get permits and vacant land and buy the land and grade the land and get the architects, get the supplies, hire the crew, and then put up all those fancy little signs and billboards and the banners that get you to pull over and look at the model homes. By the way, if you do go in there and look at the model homes, the ones they show you are not the price on the billboard. They're 150 or $200,000 more because you have to buy all the upgrades. That's a little side lesson. So when the market started to explode in 2003, the builders started planning to max out and sell for top dollar, got greedy, and they went and they got all their homes. Now, it takes five to seven years, so some of them, boop, 2008 happened from their 2003, 4, and 5 plans, no buyers. So they all went bankrupt, and there were way less homes being built. They overbuilt during the bubble. And so what they've had to do is they've either had to pull back or quit building altogether because they went bankrupt. The chief economist, Sam Cotter, I hope it's Cotter. He's the chief economic and housing research at Freddie Mac. He explained this. The main driver of the housing shortfall has been the long-term decline in the construction of single-family homes. Unquote. Don't know why I quoted him. He basically just said everything I've been saying. So... When you ask, why are there so many bidding wars and multiple offers? It's because of these numbers. In the 70s, we built 11 million homes. In the 80s, 9.8 million homes. In the 90s, we built 10.7 million homes. And in the 2000s to 2009, we built 12.6 million homes. Now, 2010 to 2019, 6.5. Now, once again, we haven't stopped making people. And during 2010 to 2019, we had the economy increase. Yeah, we had a little pandemic, but now everyone's coming back. We only have half the matter of homes. So 
people are making people, but in the last 10 years, we only built about half the homes to, you know, have a house. There ain't enough houses. That's all there is to it. This is not 2008 bubble because there were four times as many homes for sale back then. If you didn't like the price of a home, you just went down the street because there were four other houses on the block or in the condo complex, and you would just keep writing offers till you found the one most desperate and would take your low, low price. Today, due to this supply and demand data and a few other key reasons, you go out on the first weekend and you have to battle it out with 40 other buyers for that one home on the block. And it's probably not even your first choice of a block because that one had no homes for sale. So barring a global economic meltdown, this shouldn't burst. It'll just annoyingly slow leak. Like, you know, when you release the air from a balloon and you hold the neck and it makes that horrible sound. Well, and you, you know that, that really, really horrible sound that the flatulation sound at the very end when you release the balloon. That will be the day that the average number of offers on a home is one or two offers after 60 days on the market. That's when you know that last horrible little sound, not when you're getting a mad rush like you have right now. And in the meantime, if you subscribe and keep listening, I'm going to give you the update on the slow air coming out on that balloon. Because I'll tell you what, in the past three months, I've helped 12 local Southern California podcast listeners buy their first homes. That's part of the reason I've been gone for you loyal listeners out there. Daddy's back. Don't worry. And our average number of offers that we got was actually five to seven houses, usually competing against 20 to 40 offers. <laughs> that's a lot of offers and a lot of people. Now, that's not slowing down anytime soon, but when it does, I'll let you know. But I seriously doubt we're going to go from five to seven houses to write an offer competing against 40 people down to no offers immediately. It's going to take some time. All right, back to the builders. Have you heard about this crazy increase? 300% increase in lumber. So a ton of builders went bankrupt. We're not building enough homes, and the public is screaming for more homes to be built because the prices are too high in the resale homes. But now the costs are escalating in the prices of building new homes, so we got to catch 22. We'll build you new homes since prices are too high on resale, but the average additional cost to us is actually $35,872. So that means we're going to need to raise the average price by about $50,000 just to make a profit. So now you can't buy the resale home because they're going up and they're too expensive because there's not enough homes being built. So you ask them to build one, it's $50,000 more. That's what we call a catch-22. By the way, I did my research on this one. Do you know why? Do you know why it's called a Catch-22? It's from Joseph Heller's satirical novel, Catch-22. It's when an army bombardier tried to get out of combat by requesting for a leave of insanity. He asked the psychiatrist, you mean there's a catch? And the shrink says, sure, there's a catch, a Catch-22. Anyone who wants to get out of combat duty really isn't crazy. That's it. That's the explanation. No freaking explanation for the 22. Just, it's a catch got to be the most disappointing origin story ever. Okay, moving on. Speaking of disappointments, you want to hear another fun fact about why the supply is worse than my son's chances of getting a date for the prom? Big corporations and investment firms, they can't screw us on loans anymore, but you know what they can do? They're scooping up tons of homes and buying them because their bean counters know that there's not going to be a huge bubble. We're going to go up slow and then it's going to eventually come down. 
but they realize that they can make some money in the meantime. They know mortgage rates are low and they can give them even lower rates when they go out and buy them in bulk. And they know that rent prices have no real regulation on them. So they buy them to rent them out and they can raise rents every year and make a huge profit. Okay, great news. Way to go. Sidonia, I listen to this podcast to be optimistic. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, here's some relief around the corner. Now, there is some change. Recently, 39 of the 50 states, including the District of Columbia, they saw increases in inventory. That's a good thing. The inventory increase is a combination of a lot of things. First and foremost, greed. You know, that neighbor, Sally got how much for her pile of garbage she calls a house? Damn, I could get twice as much for our place. It happens. Then there's the pandemic effect. A lot of people hunkered down and didn't want to think about going outside and look at homes. Certainly not to let strangers into their home if they were going to sell theirs, especially the elderly. So now, as we're in the middle of 2021, as I record this, things are starting to loosen up. Pandemic is, uh, you know, going through its phases, but things are definitely better than they were last year. And vaccines are happening, and especially among the elderly who had to be extra cautious for a little while. Now there's pent up desire to make the move that they've been holding off. You know, maybe they were ready to retire. Like, I've, as soon as summer comes around 2020, I'm out of here. Going to buy my dream house. Yeah, it's the circle of life. And sometimes people are getting ready to go, but maybe they have to go during the middle of 2020. And so they had to put those plans on hold and now they're ready to finish them up. They're ready to do those plans. Elderly people downsizing, young families with small children. I'm sure after a year and a half inside with Screaming Baby, you are ready for a bigger place. And there's some more good news here. The builders are starting to take out more permits, which means that more projects are getting started, which means more homes are being built. And, you know, I know some of you out there, have heard about this mortgage forbearance. We're going to explain that a little bit later, but if you've only heard the scary clickbait version of it, then all you've heard about is that that means a bunch of foreclosures. But if you believe that, that's great, and I understand that. But even foreclosures mean that more homes are on the market. So it's not a bad thing if that ends up happening. Now, we'll get into that a little bit later, and we'll discuss that as we get to our next point. Okay, so... On supply and demand, and back to my boy, Larry Lawrence, you and the chief economist from the National Association of Realtors, he said, quote, the worst case outcome would be if rates remain low, demand would pick up with new jobs, and there's no increase in supply. And the only thing that moves is home prices going up until people got priced out. That would mean we're creating a divided society of haves and have nots. Damn, Larry, that's harsh. Okay, how about the best case outcome? Larry says, on the other hand, there'd be a construction boom accelerated by maybe the government infrastructure plans, which create more supply to help stop the rise in prices. Okay, Larry, some interesting ideas. That's for you to figure out. Okay, let's go to topic number three, the lending differences. Much like the current market, Demand for housing in the 2000s, it was insane, super strong. But there was a major difference between the two markets in that much of the demand back then wasn't actually real. It certainly wasn't sustainable. What do I mean not real? Well, I mean loans were a joke. Any Yahoo could get one. And yeah, I said Yahoo to remind you that I'm old. Old, experienced is what I like to say. Ranchers who could barely qualify for a car were becoming homeowners. 
And at the peak in 2007, 40% of the record 7 million home sales were second homes for more of those yahoos that suddenly decided to become real estate investors. And the only thing that they had ever invested in or done anything in their life was buying baseball or basketball cards on eBay. Yeah, it was 2007. People still used eBay. Okay, people used to say, and this is real estate people. I'm not kidding. They used to say, hey, bring them in. If they're breathing, you can put two sentences together, bring them in, and I can get them alone. And if they can't put two sentences together, never mind. Just have them write something down. We'll make it work. Cool business, huh? This is the principal reason why, oh my gosh, I just winked and made a sound because there's a camera here, but you're probably listening to me. That's silly. Okay, this whole loan thing is the principal reason why we saw a housing bubble form, get big, and blow up right in our faces. And you know from the reports on this that they were legit. This is old, this is data written by old nerds I'm reading to you. Because how do you know that? Because they were talking about in 2007, uh, everyone was afraid of FOMO and it was driving everybody to buy. And then I swear to God, they put fear of missing out in parentheses in case the reader didn't know what FOMO meant. Awesome. So those old nerds know what they're talking about. They should have feared the Great Recession because in 2008, it started and the financial systems that the world depend on started to collapse. Everyone panicked and large companies like Lehman Brothers went out of business and a whole bunch more. Now, in 2007, only three banks failed. In 2008, as the crash was starting, 25 banks failed. 2009 to 2014, the numbers of banks that failed annually were 140, 157 at the peak. 92, 51, 24, and then slowing down to 18. And then from 2015 to today, the average is less than five. 4.8 banks fail a year. Okay, so why the slowdown in failures after the crash? Well, first of all, we started to come back as far as an economy, but the government actually came in to regulate the banks through the CFPB. If you don't know who that is, look it up, kids. You got a computer in your pocket. There are pros and cons on the CFPB, depending on what color you vote for, and I'm not going to get into that, and I don't care, because here's the one thing they did for sure. They stopped the stupid lending policies that crashed our last market. They changed the rules. They told the banks they needed more reserves and they could no longer underwrite these toxic, predatory, lame, lame mortgages. Remember those stated loans that I was talking about at the top with the no documentation to verify your incomes or assets? Those are gone. That changes things a lot. Also, they were much more lenient on credit scores back then. Now, don't freak out if you've got a bad credit score. You can still purchase today without less or with less than perfect credit, but people are working harder to move their scores up to get the best deal. In 2020, 70% of mortgage or originations or mortgages that happened, they were going to borrowers with FICO scores of 760. The average credit score over the past five years was a very high 754. So now I told you, don't freak out. If your score's low, don't turn this off, all right? Look, you're going to get there. There are ways you can buy with low credit also, but what they used to call subprime borrowing, it's just not as freaky out of control as it used to be. Only about 2% of the buyers right now have less than a 720 or less than a 620 credit score. Now, back in the day, in 2007, that was at 13%. 
So if you're below 620, it's not impossible right now, but the best thing you can do is go back and listen to our other episodes on credit, episode three, episode eight, I think, and that'll help pump up your credit score. Now, remember episode three and eight of the How to Buy Home podcast, those were early episodes, gang, before I had a decent microphone, and believe it or not, the jokes were even worse, swear to God. Okay, it was early in my podcasting career, so just give me a little grace, mercy, forgiveness. Okay, where was I? Oh yeah, balloons. It, yeah, I have another balloon metaphor because the real estate industries and lending industries not super creative. They only come up with one thing. Those are balloon adjustable rate payments. So why did those balloon adjustable rate payments make a balloon that's going to pop? Well, because they start out super low and then they jump up. Back in 2004, 35% of the mortgages were adjustable rate mortgages or arms. Some of them are called teaser loans. That sounds legit, right? Something you hear when you're at the OTB trying to bet on horses or at Vegas. Give me a teaser on the 5th. Tease you right into foreclosure. Today, they're only 2.4% of the market. So in general, here's the home loan situation. They're a hell of a lot harder to get now, and that's a good thing. Seriously, I had an investor that bought a whole bunch of homes before the last bubble when the lending rules were stupid. And after the crash happened, he lost a little money on some of them. So he's like, all right, I need to buy another one. So he he goes in, and it's two or three years after, and all these new regulations have happened, and he wants to go in. And I get a call from him when he left the bank. David, they're asking for so much documentation. I'm going to walk in the bank naked with my bank account statement and tell them to give me the damn loan. Sorry, it's the new rules, man. Remember back in the day, it's a case of we give you an inch and you take 37 miles. Where we are right now, things just get back to normal. And that is a good thing for stability. So to super nerd out on this, let's take a look at one stat that you've never heard of. The Mortgage Bankers Association, also known as the MBA, they have an index which is calculated using several different factors, and it relates to the borrower's eligibility. You know, like, should we give this dude or dudette a loan? And the lower the score, the better it is. They take into account, like, your credit score, the loan type, the loan-to-value ratio, and a whole bunch of other googly-gobbly words about mortgages. The lower the score, the less of the risk and that's what the banks are looking for. So it was down to 100 in 2008, and now it's slowly going up. But here's the thing. We're at like 200, 300, 400-ish, somewhere around there right now. I, I couldn't find a 2021 stat. It was at rising from 100 to 200 from 2008 to 2019. So it's rising to the position. But even so, we're half that 900 number, if not better than the last crash which means we're twice as good of borrowers, which means we have less of a chance for things to get ugly. Okay, now this is one that I've told everybody back in the day, and I'm telling you right now. So wherever you are, if you've been listening to all this real estate gobbledygook, first of all, good for you. What are you doing, man? For the rest of you who've tuned me out, wake up. That's a real clap in the microphone. How much do you hate me? Look, this is a stat that I screamed to everybody in 2011 and no one would listen to me. Why? Because I was the real estate guy. Who wants to listen to a real estate guy in 2011? Everybody hated real estate. It made them pee their pants a little bit when I just walked in the room. 
Home equity lines got really big after 1986. It's a HELOC. It's basically borrowing against the equity of your house. It's called a second mortgage or a second. In the tax uh, reform of 1986, they eliminated a big tax deduction for people, interest on consumer purchases. You could buy something and use a credit card, put it on a loan, and you could write off the interest. It took that away, but they only left one in place. The interest in the service on residence-based debt. That means if you borrowed against your house, used a home equity line of credit, a HELOC, the interest of that loan using your house like an ATM, that interest is tax deductible. So you could drive up your credit cards, pay them off with a HELOC, and write off the interest that you pay back when you're paying back that loan. So from 1986 to 2000, Americans borrowed against their home equity for cash to pay their other debts, their college expenses, their emergencies, or to do home improvements. It took a while for lots of people to get on board. By the time we got to the year 2000, Americans had borrowed $60 billion that year. That's a lot of borrowing. Okay, now here's the one stat that no one listened to that I heard and regurgitated to anyone that would listen. I found this stat out and I told everyone. Think about it. From 86 to 2000, that took 14 years to get up to an annual loan pullout. That's a technical real estate term of $60 billion from 86 to 2000. Just six years later in 2006, when the market went nuts and people got greedy and their home values were doubling, that number went to $626 billion. From $60 billion to $626 billion in home equity lines of credit in just six years. That meant tons of homeowners were borrowing on equity to the top of the equity of their home. And if the market dropped even just a little bit, they were going to be upside down on their mortgage. Well, it didn't drop just a little bit. It dropped huge. And a huge part of the country was underwater. But hey, at least they pulled money out and they bought sea dues with their HELOCs. But like I said, none of those people listen to that fact. And, you know, like I said, they got freaked out when they saw a real estate person in 2011. Everyone was was scared. Today, the percentage of cash out refis, that's where the homeowner takes at least 5% more than their original mortgage amount, that's half of what it was in 2006. And those numbers, as far as what people are taking out of their house, way down. A lot of that has to do with the fact that in 2017, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, that suspended the deduction for interest paid on home equity lines of credit. The thing that got everyone all excited about this in the first place. Unless, according to the IRS, they are, quote, They're used to buy, build, or substantially improve the taxpayer's home that secures the loan, unquote. In other words, no more paying for college, sea dues, Vegas trips. You can only improve your house. So most of today's HELOCs are only used for improving the house. So the number of people that are taking money out is much lower than it used to be. And that means we don't have the probability of so many people going underwater should the market take a dip. Bottom line on this one, lending. It's easier to get a mortgage today than it was immediately after the market crash, but it's still difficult. Credit quality and down payments are far higher today than they used to be, and the mortgage credit supply remains relatively tight to where it was before the collapse of the housing market. Let me sum that up for you. The difference between now and 2006 At that time, any Yahoo could get a loan, 
and they did. Okay, we're going to topic number four. You still with me? Remember, if you Google, are we having a bubble, and you read three sentences and you make a decision, I don't think you have enough data. If you need a break, chill out, but we're going to topic number four. January 15th, 2012 was the lowest 30-year fixed mortgage rates in history. So let's talk about mortgage rates. If you've only been paying attention to mortgage rates for the past year, if they go up to three or three and a half or four, they're still insanely low. You just happen to finally pay attention to mortgage rates around January 15, 2021, when we were the lowest rate in the history of mortgage rates at 2.66%. This is the lowest like ever, like ever the lowest. Since then, We've gone up a little bit. We're hovering around the threes right now. But the Federal Reserve, they've actually said they ain't doing nothing to rock the boat. Not until 2022, maybe even 2023. The low Federal Reserve rate that will help and meets low mortgage rates, which means low payments, which means affordable housing, which means multiple offers, which means we keep going and going and going. Here's what some of the experts are saying. Freddie Mac is saying that they forecast that mortgage rates are going to continue to rise through the next of next year. Oh, wait, David, you just said rates are going to stay low. Yeah, they said they're going to rise to an average of 3.4% in the fourth quarter of 2021 and 3.8% in the fourth quarter of 2022. In fact, if you take into account the average mortgage interest rate predicted by the four most trusted sources in real estate, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, the MBA that I mentioned before, and the National Association of Realtors, they show an average rate increase of 3.35% to 3.68% by next summer. So yes, you're going to see a headline that says rates are going up, but they're talking about us staying still in the mid threes to next summer. That's stupid low. That's close to half the 6.41 interest rate the last time we had a crash. In other words, there's still some room for prices to go up a bit and then slow normally because the payments, they're going to stay low and they're not going to break the bank. Topic number five. Now, this is for maybe for some of you smarty pants out there who think you've got some data and some extra info on this. What about the foreclosures coming from the forbearance running out? Okay, let me explain this if you don't know what I'm talking about. If you haven't heard, there are 2.3 million homes during the pandemic that got a break on their mortgages. It's called forbearance. That means they get to skip some of the payments until they got back on their feet. Sounds great. Cool thing. But, you know, there's always the negative Nellies that don't want anyone to get a free ride and think that anytime you do something like that, it's going to cause a problem. Kicking the can down the road. I understand. That does make sense. And they want to whine about how terrible this is because if you do that to someone, well, what happens if they come back and they don't have a job? Then their house is going to get foreclosed on and because not everyone's going to be able to pay it back. They're right. Not everybody will. Not everyone's going to come back with a job. But it doesn't mean that the house is going to get foreclosed on because there's a magic cure, equity. Equity is the profit you have in your home. Homes have been harder to get since 2008. And most people who bought their homes, they got to ride some pretty sweet appreciation since February 2012 when the market bottomed out and started to rise and they had to buy with a little bigger down payment. So they've got some nice equity. And even if they bought with a low down payment, then their equity has been rising for quite some time. 
And we already found out that you can't cash out on it and get the tax rebates or deductions, excuse me. And it's not as easy to get a home equity line of credit by using your house as an ATM. So that equity is stuck in place in the house. That's why I was so, so adamant about that last fact. I couldn't believe how many people were just pulling money out of their house. Well, now they haven't, so they can't get upside down. So here's some other facts that will help to avoid the foreclosure for these people. First of all, there are 2.3 million people who did some form of forbearance. Ready for this? 48.9% of those homeowners, they're already caught back up. So 2.3 million. Well, nope. Half of that. Because half of them have already paid up. And of those, 6% actually made their payments during the forbearance period. 7% not only caught up, but they paid past delinquent payments. And 6% paid off their loans in full. So everyone's throwing them into the calculation of people who got forbearance again, but they don't even have a loan anymore. Also, the banks got killed in 2018 to 2012, trying to be real estate brokers and trying to sell houses. It sucked for them. So now they're looking for alternatives. The banks do not want foreclosures. They don't want the houses back. This time they're working with the homeowners to help them stay in their homes. Ready for this? Now, 50% of all mortgages, they're backed by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, FHFA. In 2008, the FHFA, when we had a major foreclosure crisis, they tried to help out 208,000 homeowners with some kind of home retention, you know, something to work it out, repayment plans, loan modifications, things like that. In the past year, that same entity, FHFA, has offered the same protection, same programs to over 1 million homeowners. And there's way less of them right now. That's because they don't want to do this. So when people tell you forbearance equals foreclosure, keep that in mind. Almost 50% of the 2.3 million have 50% equity. And those who are tighter today Almost all the lending institutions are working with them. The report from the NBA reveals that homeowners who have left their forbearance, here's why. 5% of them have worked out a repayment plan with their lender. 5% were guaranteed a loan deferral where a borrower doesn't have to pay the lender for an agreed period of time. And 9% of them were given a loan modification. And if their fear isn't enough, how about the government getting involved. The banks are freaked out about this, but now the government's getting on top of them. Nobody wants a flood of homes for sale. Bloomberg recently reported mortgage companies could face penalties if they don't take a step to prevent a deluge of foreclosures that threatens to hit the housing market later this year. That's what a U.S. regulator said. The CFPB, remember, got to look those guys up. That's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They said that this is a warning tied to forbearance relief and that they want mortgage servicers to start reaching out to affected homeowners now before it ends to advise them on ways they can modify their loans. Now, this isn't set in stone from the CFPB. We don't know what's going to happen, but they're talking about it. And what that means is that the people who have their head buried in the sand, maybe they're going to sneak a peek out of the sand and start listening to think, oh, I might have some options, even if they don't happen. If they do, and many of them will, 
that because of the price increases, if all else fails, they're going to figure out that they could sell their home because they've got equity. Because just like the banks, homeowners learned a lesson from the housing crash too. Some economist said this. Now, I seriously don't know who it is because I had 200 pages that I researched for this podcast and I deleted this guy's name when I was copying and pasting. So, but I want to give credit to economist, nerd, whoever you are. Quote, in the same way that grandparents and great-grandparents were shaped by the Great Depression, much of the public today remembers 2006 mortgage meltdown and the foreclosures, the unemployment, and the bank failures that it created. No one with any sense wants a repeat of that experience. And it might explain why so much real estate equity remains mortgage-free. Unquote. Here's the big stat. 30% of the current homeowners have over 50% of equity. So if you own a home and you're one of those people and you miss $2,000 payments a month for a year, so now you owe $24,000 back to the bank. But if you sold your house, you got $150,000 profit. The simple payback to the bank with the profit, even with your real estate fees and such, you're still making over a hundred grand. So if you start getting the notices in the mail and you start getting all those, those letters that freak you out, you have an option to sell your house, unlike we did in 2006 when people pulled out so much money and they had little equity. So some of the negative Nellies love to bring up the forbearance because they think it's kind of a deep cut. They think they're getting into something that no one's talking about, and they think they're smarty pants. They want to prove that the sky is falling. Here's what you can say to them or what I have been telling people that is just a fact. Just one in 10 homeowners in forbearance has less than 10% equity in their home. Just one in 10. So if all those guys who have less than 10% run into trouble and their homes need to go to foreclosure, guess what? Me and all the buyers will be stoked. Not for those people. We feel terrible for them, but the market's not going to crash because based on my boots on the ground data that I've been figuring out, my 12 first-time home buyers in the last three months, if one in 10, 10% of the 2.3 million homes go in foreclosure because they're under 10%, that just means that there's only going to be 18 people writing offers the first weekend we go look at a house instead of 20. It's such a small number, it's not going to put a dent in the demand. So the massive foreclosure is about to come on the market. It's, it's highly exaggerated. Ivy Selman, the chief executive officer of, of Zellman and Associates. Try saying that. Woo. Zellman is a big name in real estate. And this is what he says. The likelihood of us having a foreclosure crisis again is about 0%. Now, if you think a couple clicks on Google mean that you know more about this guy, which has 30 years of experience, and a guy who puts his reputation on the line, and he says 0%, not could, maybe, doesn't hedge his bets, says zero. I think we've covered that topic. Let's go to topic number six, the bailout. What's different this time? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Bailouts are a tricky subject. I don't want to start any political stuff, so I'm just going to read an article to you. I don't know. I don't care where you vote. I don't care what you think the government should or shouldn't pay for. This is just the facts. In 2008, the government saw the foreclosure meltdown as a top-down problem, and they set $70 billion aside for the banks and the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP. 
Not all the 70 billion was used, but the important point is that the government did not act with the favor to homeowners. They acted in favor to the banks who lost their homes in foreclosures and short sales. This time around, the government has moved to help ordinary citizens. Working from the bottom up a little bit, it's an estimated 5.3 trillion went into the public in 2020. Some of them went to some of the smaller businesses through the PPP, Paycheck Protection Program, and the expanded unemployment benefits, the tax incentives, and the help for local governments. So far this year, there's been 1.9 billion in the American Rescue Plan with millions of $1,400 checks, as well as proposals to, to spend trillions more. With that, bank deposits have increased by nearly $2 trillion during the past year, and credit card debt has fallen. Hey, if that ruffled your feathers, don't email me. I don't care. Seriously. It's just numbers. I'm just here to give you the numbers. And then I'm here to help people and serve those who want it. That's all. So that's just some numbers on the bailout. Topic number seven. All right, those are all the topics and all the facts. Let's get to some forecasts and predictions from people who are smarter than us. People who are not trying to sell anything, trying to get you to click on their advertisement or trying to get you to buy or sell a home with them. These are economists just giving numbers. In a survey of a national panel of over 100 economists, these are real estate experts and investment and marketing strategy experts, forecast that home prices are going to be appreciating over the next five years, but at rates that approach a more normal pace, not this craziness. If you're looking for the big score, sorry, <laughs> you missed it. Unless you listen to my podcasts or my, you know, in 2011 when I was running around talking to everybody, but I didn't have a podcast in 2011. But they don't see a bubble coming anytime soon. And in fact, you could take a look at the numbers. The expected appreciation between 100 economists, both pessimistic and optimistic. 2021, they think it's going to be 8.66, and it's probably going to get higher than that. 2022, 5.12%. 2023, 3.7%. 2024, 3.56%. And 2025, 3.33%. Sidoni, you're just yelling numbers into the microphone. What the hell does this mean? You've been talking for half an hour. I'm bored. Okay, look. 4% increase till 2025. That's what a bunch of people, both people who see things happy and people who see things sad, they still think we're going to get 4% appreciation and no one said anything about a bubble. There are a million charts and graphs with all kinds of other people. This is the one I like because you've got pessimists and optimists. So if you believe the nerds who study those spreadsheets for fun and believe all the data I've shared with you today, then maybe instead of worrying about the bubble, you see that 4% increase over the next four years. Now, if you have a $300,000 home and you get 4% equity over the next three years or four years, that's about 50,000 bucks. And because of the low interest rates, you can probably get into that home for about the same monthly payment as your rent. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with some more quotes from the experts. The reason I'm telling you these is because this is not fear-based stuff. You won't see these on Google because it doesn't sell anything. This is not anything optimistic or pessimistic in an extreme way to try to get you to click on it. From Goldman Sachs, strong demand for housing looks sustainable. Even before the pandemic, demographic tailwinds and historically low mortgage rates had pushed demand to high levels. Consumer surveys indicate that households buying intentions 
are now the highest in 20 years. As a result, the model projects double-digit price increases and gains this year. This one's from J.P. Morgan. Joe Seidel says, Interest rates are historically low, though they are inching up a little bit. Housing prices have spiked during the last six to nine months, but we don't expect them to fall anytime soon. And we believe they're more likely to keep rising. If you're looking to purchase a new home, conditions now may be better than 12 months hence. Hence? (laughs) Okay, fancy pants. That means it's not going to be a bubble. Hence, you're kidding me. Morgan Stanley says this, unlike 15 years ago, the euphoria in today's home prices come down to the simple logic of supply and demand. Ooh, that's what Larry Yoon said. And we at Morgan Stanley conclude that this time that this time the sector is on a sustainable and sturdy foundation. The robust demand and highly challenged supply along with tight mortgage lending standards may continue to bode well for home prices. Boding, hence, I can be an economist. Higher interest rates and post-pandemic moves would likely slow the pace of appreciation, but the upward trajectory remains very much on course. And finally, Merrill Lynch. There are reasons to believe that this is likely to be an unusually long and strong housing expansion. Demand is very strong because the biggest demographic in history is moving through the household formation at and peak home buying stages of its life cycle. Coronavirus-related preferences or preference changes, I should say, have also sharply boosted home buying demand. That means you decided I can't be around my family because I've been stuck with them for 18 months. Give me a bigger house with a basement so I can run away. Back to Mr. Merrill Lynch. At the same time, supply is unusually tight with available homes for sale at record low level, low levels. Double digit price gains are rationing the supply. So there we go, gang. For the record, I have dozens of these quotes, and they come from many other people, names that you know and respect. Not all of them use the word hence, but they're still pretty legit. So let me now straight up regurgitate, summarize, and share with you an article from an economic writer who wrote a five-part series in May 2021. It's called Bubble Trouble. It's like he wrote it just for me. He looked long and hard at both sides and he wrote five parts. And in his final article, part five, he concluded this. I'm going to share this with you because this is a paid publication. So it's not plastered all over Google. It's just for nerds like me who pay for it. This is Matthew Gardner. Here's what he says. Quote, on face value, I can certainly see why some are worried about how much home prices have been escalating, not just during the pandemic, but since the housing prices started recovering back in 2012. He also said home price growth has been outpacing wage growth for a long time with median prices up more than 113% since January, 2012, while wages have only arisen a mere modest 30%. Moreover, in 2020, prices increased by more than 9% and were up a record-breaking 17.2% from March, 2020 to March, 2021. As a result the mumblings of the imminent bursting of a new housing bubble are now being heard across the United States. I'd like to start off by addressing those who believe impending doom is on the horizon. I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. It's not going to happen. While it's easy to argue that such a rapid increase in home prices is sure to end badly, just like it did in 2008 and 2009, you'd be wrong to conflate those two time periods. 
Today's housing market is markedly different from the one we saw back in 2008, unquote. If you're still here, you really want to buy a house or you are really, really a real estate dork. And I love you for taking the time to learn this information, not for me, but for you. The more you know, the better you're informed, the better deal you're going to get and the more financially stable you're going to be for your family and your future or just you and your dogs. Maybe that's your family. All right. So bubble, you decide. I hope this information was valuable for you. And if you want to know more about buying your first home, check out all the other episodes of this podcast. Go through, find something you're interested in, pick your favorite. Remember, if you pick one of the early ones, they're a little rough. The sound kind of stinks, but you can learn all that you need to know. Even if it's a little painful, don't judge me. So check back for more information. If you need a unicorn real estate agent in your area, then DM me on the Instagram or go to that's Instagram at David Sedoni or go to davidsedoni.com or howtobuyahome.com. Hit me up if you've got any questions about real estate or you want to find a unicorn agent in your area who treats first timers the way they should be treated. I'm helping people all over the country find these great people. Hopefully you can also find this on YouTube someday because it might be on camera. I hope so. There's two in the room right now. And you can also find me on the Facebook page. Bubble or no bubble, you decide. And then you make your plan and buy your home whenever. But even if you're going to wait, you might as well start your plan right now. And if you don't think it's going to be a bubble and you want to get started, remember, you can do this.